0: You're gonna to have to make some serious changes in your life, or otherwise you're not gonna see your 50th birthday. I think that's 10 years away. Typical doctor being overdramatic. I said, okay, don't, no problem. Um, so then came back three days later, and this was the start of my unlock moment going I walked in, and normally you have to enter this data on the form, and the receptionist don't know who you are, and they, you you try to speak to them. You know they're obviously very busy and very professional. I, uh, I walked in. He says, "Ah, yes, Mr. Tibbetts. I said, "Yes." He says, the doctor's waiting for you, uh, and he's in uh, consultation room one or zero. It's on the ground floor. It's on the ground floor. I mean, that's not his normal room, and he's waiting for me. A doctor's never, ever been waiting for me for an appointment. You'll know, Gary. Doctors are never waiting for you, and receptionists never greet you and shepherd you into the room. Come again? Oh, this is this is a bit odd. So I walk in and basically I says take a seat. Um, he said um, you know our last conversation I said, yes, doc. He says um, he said you've got I give you sort of like ten years to change life. He says yeah. He says um, I give you six months. He says if you don't make radical changes, you'll be dead. You won't see your fortieth birthday. In fact, you could die at any point now.
1: My name's Dr. Gary Crotas, and I'm a coach and author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life, and you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times, and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the unlock moment podcast. In today's very special interview, I'm joined by executive coach, transformation specialist and international speaker, Chris Tibbets, who has lost over 100 kilograms, that's 220 pounds, battling an overeating disorder and mental health issues. He now helps others to be in the best shape, both physically and mentally. Chris and I met many years ago before he embarked on his journey of change, and then reconnected a couple of years ago when he told me all about what's happened since. I was blown away. Physical wellness and mental resilience are topics I'm passionate about, and I don't know many people who bring them to life with as much honesty and authenticity. Chris, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to The Unlock Moment.
0: Uh, thank you very much for having me, Gary. Uh, yes, I, I do remember working. Um, those many long hours together all those years ago. Um, and uh, yes, and uh, then reconnecting recently it was just uh, great. And um, yeah, thank you for inviting me on the podcast.
1: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being here. So to get us started, tell, tell me a little bit about what you were like when you were growing up. And, and what, was the, what was the journey for how your weight started first to get out of control?
0: I've done a lot of work on myself, as you'd understand. Um, And I've managed to trace my um, beginning of my uh, eating disorder back to probably about nine years old. Um, And this is going to sound a really sad story, but it's not. Um, My brother had a road traffic accident and he um, broke his neck and ended up with a spinal injury. And almost overnight, um, obviously, my mom and dad's focus had to be on his well being. So I was very kindly put into the care of um, my brother's best friends, our our family friends, um, and for sort of six months, I lived with them. Now, the the woman, Barbara, the most amazing, caring, loving woman in the world, um, but her way of dealing with things was food. So if you were happy, she'd bake. If you were sad, she'd cook. Um, And that was the thing. So again, I had this very traumatic incident, and the linkage was food. Um, and she's very wonderful loving woman um typical um she's about five foot nothing always wore a penny and a house coat um typical sort of late 70s early 80s housewife as you you know describe it um uh but she was amazing um but she also had some habits that you already cleared your plates you always did this but you know um so i understood it from them and obviously with my brother having his accident and my parents focus being on them again i have no there's no bad there's no nothing challenge there but um i found comfort in the bakery so i'd go to a woman in the bakery to get a connection to get adult connection to get you know solace and a cake squid or i'd go to a fish and chip shop so but when you're 10 11 it doesn't really matter because i was out all day playing i was you know busy burning it wasn't a problem but i can look back now and see that there is a connection i only I found connection and love and support in food, uh, and I sought it with people. Um, Then as I grew up, um, I played a lot of sports, um, had a very healthy appetite. My biggest challenge with weight came when I was 17, and I uh, got injured. Um, I tore my uh, ACL in my knee, um, and almost overnight, I'd gone from playing rugby five times a week, training three times a week, going to the gym, to not be able to do anything, um, uh, but at 17 I also found alcohol, I found food, um, so I was still consuming everything I was doing before, but I had no outlet for it. So surprise, surprise, I started to put weight on. Um, and then I got recovered, got a bit healthier, but I never had that drive to do sport I used to have. So I put a bit of weight on, obviously by moving a bit more, I lost weight, and um, I moved away um and then throughout my life um I met my first wife who was a feeder um I, I put weight on then every time I had a child i sort of lost weight because I thought I had that oh, I've got to be a dad now I've got to be healthy I lose weight for that um and throughout my sort of 30s um I would yo-yo diet between every time I had a child I'd put weight on lose weight um but I was always big you know um and, and and that was it really till sort of you know um i got to sort of 30s so i just yo-yoed i would i would lose weight put it on lose weight put it on
1: and describe where you were at when you were at your heaviest
0: um so once i i suppose i lost my last low last significant amount of weight probably in the early 2000s uh when we had our, my um, daughter lost weight for that um and i did really well and then um, over time, I started to put weight back on and then throughout my thirties, I, I left it. Um, I went to work for myself, um, when it's corporate world, obviously started working in projects like yourself, Gary. Um, and I had the combination of travel stress and, um, boundless amounts of money to buy food whenever I wanted to buy food. Um, and that was my sort of response was I would comfort eat, I'd stress eat you know um it was sort of gave me sort of protection um and, and comfort at that point my marriage was sort of deteriorating as well and I was in a very sort of toxic relationship so actually food then became even more of a sort of comfort for me uh, and i never saw myself you know as big as i thought i was
1: and how heavy were you at, at, uh, at
0: my at my peak um i tipped the scales at 34 stone 200 and something kilos 210 kilos um yeah um plus, yeah. I think plus was,
1: yeah, it was a lot, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sort of yeah, two ten kilos that's that's four hundred and sixty pounds yeah. that's a body, body mass index over fifty, I think you were oh yeah um.
0: easily, yeah, easily,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah easily, and um, and
1: that was impacting i mean obviously from a weight perspective, that was impacting your health.
0: Hmm. how did
1: it feel for you to be that weight, what were the issues that you were dealing with
0: um it's it's when I look back or at the time I was kidding myself, I used to sort of like say, well, I play golf every day, so I'm okay. I'm sort of, like, um, but everything was difficult. You know, getting clothes was difficult. Getting in and out of cars was difficult. Traveling on trains was difficult. Um, flying, you know, was, you know, you were buying, you know, if I flew Ryanair EasyJet, I had to buy two seats because there's no hmm. one fit in a normal seat. Um, so yeah, everything was just harder, you know, but, To me, it was almost like my weight was a suit of armour. It was to protect me from my terrible marriage and also to protect myself from any sort of gave me sort of sense of bravado, a sense of, you know, fill the room. I was a big character, you know, could be a big character. And it was like, um, so it was just a protective need. But in terms of health, I was just, you know, um, just struggling, just getting by, I think. And it wasn't until I went on holiday, well, went on my business trip to Dubai and I had sort of breathing difficulties and all the other things that then made me think, well, oh, perhaps i perhaps I need to get myself sorted. But I used to kid myself I'm okay. I never saw myself as the, the person the size I was.
1: And we're here to, to talk about the this idea of an unlocked moment. So a moment of remarkable clarity when you suddenly mm. figured out the path ahead. Mm. Tell me about that meeting with a doctor.
0: Yeah, so we'd been on um a trip to Dubai, a business trip, a sort of golfing trip. And because there'd been a problem with the hotels, uh, my business partner and myself had to share a room for a night. And in that night, know, yeah, woke up the next morning and he just stared at me, you know, and said, I'm never doing that again. I was like, Why? He says, Well he says the noise you made was just was horrific. I says, What? I don't snore. He says, No, it wasn't snoring. It was almost like a noise from sort of like you know, a zombie movie, this constant sort of deep rumbling of breathing. He says, but well, the problem is, you know, th- if that wasn't bad enough, when you weren't making that noise, you weren't breathing. And I thought you were dead about three times because you you, you just weren't breathing. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, sort of a bit of a, a shock, especially when somebody close to says that to you. Uh, so I came back from the trip, thought, well, I'm 39. i I've come up to 40. Perhaps I should get myself checked out. And... Basically, um went to go and see the GP, uh, who is a good friend of mine. We played rugby together um, and walked in to see him. And he looked at me and says, hi, Tipsy, um, you're looking well, which is obviously a doctor's use of for so you've put weight on. Uh- <laughs> um, and um, I said, oh, explained the story. He says, oh, well, let's go and see what the damage you've done to yourself is. And I said, OK. And so he said, just um, step on the scales. So I stepped on them. And basically, they were those the salter ones that go around 26 or 28 stone. Um, I stood on it. The dial went round and then didn't move. So I basically broke the scales. Um, And he looked at me and says, Did you know, they're brand new. You know how expensive they are? I was like, well, (laughs) all right, doc, sorry. (laughs) Um, He says, right, okay, well, he says, we have obviously got a problem there. Um, And then there was a seat, the normal traditional doctor's seat. Um, He says, take a seat. And I couldn't get into it. I sort of like trying to wedge myself into it as it's he, like going, I think you just need to go and you know we need to run some tests. He says, look, you know, looking at the size, you're looking at that, he says, you know, I think let's go and get some blood tests and do some things. He says, and then when you're at the hospital, they've got a seat you can sit on and we can get an accurate weight for you. Went, okay, no problem. He says, so come back and see me in a week and we'll see what, what the damage is. So I sort of came back um the following week, saw him um and he said, uh, take a seat. No joviality, just take a seat. So I took a seat. Uh, this time it was a slightly wider one. I mean, the old Jeremy Carl show, they used to have slightly wider seats for the larger characters. Um, so I had a, a, a wider seat so I could sit down. And he said, um, right, we haven't got all your testinal timber. He says the first initial markers are, you know, you're borderline diabetic, you've got high blood pressure, you've got high cholesterol. He says, you've got this marker, this marker. You know, basically, he goes, it's a miracle that you're still walking. He says, but um, he says, you know, you've got something that you should have all of these challenges, he says, but I've sent some more um, tests away for some more analysis because some we weren't sure with, I said, okay, no problem. He says, I so can come back in, they'll be back in a couple of days, make the point in three days time. He says, but I said, I'm looking, he says, I'm looking at you now. He says, look, if you, you're going to have to make some serious changes in life or you're not going to see your 50th birthday. I think that's 10 years away. Typical doctor being overdramatic. I said okay don't no problem um so then came back three days later and this was the start of my unlock moment guy. i walked in and normally you have to enter this data on the form and the receptionists don't know who you are and they, you you try to speak to them you know they're obviously very busy and very professional i uh, i walked in he says ah yes mr tibbets i said yes the doctor's waiting for you, uh, and he's in uh, consultation room one or zero. It's on the ground floor. It's on the ground floor. I mean, that's not his normal room. And he's waiting for me. A doctor's never, ever been waiting for me for an appointment. You'll know, Gary, doctors are never waiting for you. And the never greet you and shepherd you into the room. So I'm well oh, this, is, this is a bit odd. So I walk in, and basically, I see, he says, take a seat. Um, he said, um, yeah, our last conversation, I said, Yes, doc. He says, Um, he says You've got, I give you sort of like 10 years to change life. He says, Yeah, he says, Um, I give you six months. He says, If you don't make radical changes, you'll be dead. You won't see your 40th birthday. In fact, you could die at any point now. From the stats I've had on the, they looked at my oxygen levels and looked at all these sort of things. He says, Um, you know, you, you could die at any point. He says, So you really need to make some radical changes to your lifestyle. I said, Right, okay. Um, and at this point, I didn't actually think about myself, I was thinking, oh, what about my mum and my brother, my business partner, my kids, my wife? It didn't actually hit me of that. I was thinking, oh, what about everybody else? What are they gonna do? How am I gonna deal with this for them? And just at that point he was um, he started like writing out, you know, so I've got this, you need this drug, this drug, this drug, this dietitian, this and I said, look, doc. Says, what can I do so I don't have to have all these drugs? If I don't pull it off, I don't mind. You know, I'll quite happily take whatever choice. He says, basically, in four weeks, you're going to have to have lost, um, basically, two stone. I was like, going, mm, okay. Um, that doesn't sound very healthy to me, but hey, you know, um, I said, okay. He says, if you don't lose, you've got to show a, a determination that you're going to lose weight. Um, so I went, okay, no problem, dog. I can do that. I, 'Cause don't forget, i had a lifetime of yo-yo dieting. I know I knew all the diets out there. Um, so I resorted to my traditional um diet of cornflakes and tuna fish and mashed potato. Um I'm obviously at 34 stone. Um if you go from eating well probably about four or five thousand calories a day to about fifteen hundred, two thousand, you're gonna lose weight. Um so I lost weight. Uh, obviously not very healthy. Um came back, saw him, he says, Look, okay. You've shown you can do it. You've shown that you've got a determination. He says, I don't agree with the methods you've done, so perhaps we just need to get some help. So I had some conversation with dietitians and uh, and other people. He said, but you've shown you can do this. So um, I sort of made that change. But the biggest change I was making at this point was realizing that actually my environment wasn't right for me. That There was a lot of things that was creating my desire to eat. And that was the first time I probably started to realize it.
1: And what was the transition from hearing that news that you could die at any time mm. to really internalizing what that means for you and you having to make change? Was that immediate, or did it take some time for you to get your head around that?
0: I think the knowing I need to make change was almost immediate, but the, and again, when you have something like this happen, you can make these drastic changes. You can always make change. You know, it's like I was given a very powerful why um i think the problem was i didn't believe it enough i was almost like like throughout my life i was just going i'll do enough and i'll get by i'll do enough you know i'll get rid of this problem i'll just throw all my effort at it and i'll and i'll solve the problem it wasn't until i started having some success and i started losing weight and i started to feel a bit more happy about myself and then i realized there was a lot of contributing factors to why You know, I was doing because almost overnight, Gary, I became single focused single-minded on the fact that what I ate, I didn't let anything interfere me. I didn't let anything sort of detract me. You know, wherever I went, I was, I was almost on it. I was planned. I was structured, Um, and that was great. But I almost knew that wasn't going to serve me for the rest of my life. It was going to do me for a period of time, and for me, the sort of second unlock moment was, um, I. Then started working away in London, which is great because I had more control. I rented a flat. I was only I was the only person responsible for Yet. Um, and but when I used to come home at weekends, it was almost like people were sabotaging me.
1: And what was the thing that was motivating you to make this a fundamental change that was going to happen and was going to stick in a way that hadn't happened before when you were yo-yoing? What was what changed for that?
0: I think for me this time, I'm almost sort of of reignited my enjoyment of exercise because I'd sort of, to begin with, I lost weight by just walking um, and then I lost enough weight. And then being in London, I had access to a gym. There's a gym beneath the flats where I lived. So I could actually just have that sort of confidence of, of I want to improve myself. I want to do things. I wanted to get back to the the, the sort of 17-year-old athlete again. And that that enjoyment of training, that enjoyment of, of exercise and and having a sort of passion and that sort of spurred on that's what sort of the difference, um, in it. Um, and, you know, almost for the first time in my life doing things for myself.
1: And initially on that journey, um, you were pretty successful in, in losing a significant amount of weight.
0: Yeah, I was very successful. I sort of, um, I think I dropped down to about, um, think 19 stones. If you imagine 15 stone weight loss is, you know, quite present and i'm quite tall so even at sort of 19 stone because i was working out a lot i was still don't get wrong i still had fat but i had been working out so i was was a lot healthier i was a lot better you know and i didn't have as much fat so um you know i'd I'd lost a significant amount of weight but not down to what the lowest i went to but um it was a massive change and it made me feel more confident and self-assured
1: when did it become clear that you needed to regain that control when when did it become clear that you that you'd lost that
0: again for about five years so if you imagine in 20 was it 2012 or 2011 um they told me that uh why 50 no 50 no so yeah in 2011 i was told i had sort of like six months live in 2012 i was 40. for the next five years i basically went from about 18 stone up to about 26 stone. I sort of had a, I had three wardrobes. I had a, you know, a thin wardrobe. I had a, put a bit of weight on and I had my, I put all my weight back on. So I had three wardrobes. And again, because they were there, you gradually just, oh, feel tries a bit tight. i put these ones on. So you just sort of like, didn't really notice it so much. Um, and it wasn't until sort of five years, into, maybe about 20, yeah, know, 2016, I left, uh I got head entered and joined National Express um and then a year into that I had a breakdown um and my food my eating had got completely out of control and I was a functioning person who was you know dealing with stress but I you know I had a meltdown and then we'd won an award and there was a photograph of me uh winning this award and basically the photo of the guy who was on the airplane in 2011, who was about to die, the that was almost like the same person was looking at me again, that same look in the eyes, that same feeling, that same you know, and I realised that actually I'd sunk back to those levels. The weight had come back on, I'd got out of control, and I realised I had to do something because I wasn't going to diet or work my way out of this one. I had to, address, I had a problem, um, and the underlying moments I went to. Such a crazy. I went to a Starbucks in Shrewsbury of all places. Don't ask me why I went there. Um, I had no connection with there. I uh, basically I was living in Sandbox at the time. Got to crew. I was going to sh- oh, go to the office in Birmingham. No, I don't want to go to Birmingham. I looked at the departures. Where's that? Oh, it's Shrewsbury. So I'll just go there. Don't ask me why. Shows my mental state at the time. And uh, went into Starbucks and I ordered my cinnamon swirl and my Star- Carol macchiato. And basically, I can't tell you what happened in four hours of my life. I lost four hours completely. But next minute I'm thinking, four hours passed. I've obviously drank the coffee and yeah, it's in as well, but I've got a complete blank and I thought, right, I need to get some help. I need to just nip this in the bud and, and find out what's going on. Um and and I tried, you know, the traditional. Um I went to um a clinic, um uh bit like Jack Nicholson, one floor of the cooker's nest, broke out of there, didn't like that. Um didn't do. Didn't like the group therapy. Didn't like the individual therapy. um I've used it since for other things, and it's great. But I, I just didn't do it. So um, a friend of mine suggested going to um, Overeats Anonymous. I was like, going. Never heard of that. I've obviously heard of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and the others, but never heard of that. So he says, no, go to it. Um, and I went to it. And um, whilst whilst I don't fully agree with all of it saved my life right just by following this process by following steps by actually accepting that i had a problem and accepting that i need to deal with it and that that it's my problem and i've got to own it and and i'm responsible for this and this by giving over to higher power that's going to say you know to take that responsibility was really important but you know this whole sense of renewal this whole sense of you know um apologizing for actions and accepting and it was really important to me because I'd been through this process. And then that was my starting point, in my journey.
1: And I think that's a really powerful part of your story that this is not at the beginning of the journey. It's not, you know, you, you'd made very significant practical changes to your lifestyle. You'd lost a huge amount of weight, but it wasn't sticking. No. And there was a point where you recognized and started to act on the fact that that there was an addiction going on and, mm. and lots of other Elements around, and starting to find people that can help you, who who also you know have experience in that space and and get it. And and, I th- and we talked about before that the the mix of people around you, both you know medical professionals, but also people who've had that experience. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really that's really important for for you in terms of enabling you to switch from up and down to something that sustains over over mm. time. Yeah. What did, what did it feel like being in a room with other people who had been through or were going through the same thing as you?
0: Um, it was almost comforting. It was almost nice, sort of like you're not on your own anymore. And that was the biggest struggle I found, is that, that I, I couldn't explain to people my feelings because most people say, well, just don't eat it. You know, my, my wife, bless her, she's amazing, but she's like, well, just don't eat it. Why, why would you do that? If you didn't want it, don't eat it. Or if you want to eat it, eat it. But it's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't work for me. You know, I'm I'm wired in a different way. You know, I if I see that, I don't care if I'm full. I'll I'll eat the second pizza. I'll eat the third pizza, even if it's making me ill. You know, because I just can't stop. And and getting being in a room with people, who should, people saying the same things, almost. You know, for the first couple of meetings, I just didn't say a word. I just listened. I was like, oh my god, there's somebody saying I'm not on my own, and there's other people who struggled. Um, what was interesting is for me, which shocked me completely. As a big guy as I was, the sponsor I actually had was an anorexic. She's a recovering anorexic. I'm thinking, how on earth can you, at uh, sort of seven stone, understand me at thirty stone? And it was a complete, but but she did, and she understood because she says it's about the addiction. It's not, you know, mine was I wasn't going to eat. Yours is you want to eat, but it's still the same driving behaviours. It's still the same process that you deal with. It's still the same lies you're telling. they just they're just a different way around.
1: And so, when when you look at your your life and your routine now, and the things you have in place to 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 be where you are now, and to and to sustain that over time, what does that look like? What what are the things that you're doing that that are different now from before?
0: Um, I think you know, one is having a sort of routine. Although I did have a routine so I was ill, um, I sort of take it aside, but I still use some of the principles. You know, so I still journal daily it you know, was really important for me to ask myself a series of questions in the morning and of questions in the evening about, you know, what, what am I looking to achieve? How am I achieving them? Um, then gratitude, you know, really focus on being grateful for one being alive and grateful for the people around me and, and showing that and and almost giving not to expect to get anything back. was the biggest thing, you know, I, I want to give things, I don't expect anything back. You know, if if you get something back, that's great. But when you have that attitude Quite often, you get an abundance of things back to you by not expecting anything. Um, meditation, you know, meditation is an important part of of, of my life now. And, and I spent a lot of time working with an you know, Shia monk on this to understand this, to understand this stillness, this quietness, this calming my mind down. Um, and then I use sort of breathing techniques, again, similar to that, but again, you sort of cold water, cold therapy, again, is really quite important for just allowing myself to reconnect. So I'm almost taking control uh, of of my life because I think they're just really important to me
1: and where are you today in terms of uh, weight and health and so on
0: Uh, I'm probably I'm still I put a little bit of weight on because I stopped training because I got injured but you know I'm comfortable with that I'm happy Mm -hmm. you know Um, I'm probably yeah just probably about half a stone heavier than I'd like to be Mm -hmm. but I'm not bothered by it. Um, yeah. The thing is, I very rarely weigh myself anymore. And that's the challenge. I just don't weigh myself. But I think mean, when I did, I was like, um, about you know, because then I've been ill, I've been I've COVID, everybody, like everybody else says, and I hadn't had the activity levels I had. So that's fine. And I know what I can change. I can either eat less and I'll lose weight, or I can just get back to being more active. But in effect, I'm comfortable. I have no binge urges. I have no, you know, I haven't slipped back to me no over I've, you know, I've sort of found that level, comfortable place I'm in,
1: and it's in it's a constant battle for you to to stay in that place. It's not something you can sort of um forget about. You you have to sort of stay on top of it
0: yeah, every yeah. single day. Every single day, it's sort of one thing I say at night is uh, it's, the first thing I say in the morning is just give me the grace to get through the day without a binge. And then at then time I go, you know, thank God oh, I haven't binged today, you yeah, know, because again it c- it can still happen, you know, I can still you know. Um, I talk to my clients. You know, I'm quite open with them. I say, you know, um, things throw up at you. Things get hit you hit you with them. And no matter all the good work I've done, I said oh, the difference between me now and in the past is I may slip up, but actually that's fine and that's good for me because it allows me to show me that I'm still human and it's still there, and and that you know, um, I can learn from it. And what was different? What what made me relent? What what made me decide that i'm gonna you know eat those chocolate bars or eat that cake eat those cakes you know I'm not about one-off is if i have a you know, if i have a cake one day i'm not going to beat myself up because it's part of my life um but if i decided that i'm going to eat a pizza and then cakes and then chocolate and it was all excessive then i'd have to ask myself what's caused that what's triggered that why have i lost that control and again i can just sort of work through it and understand it
1: and tell me about the moment when you decided to make this your career to help other people going through yeah. this kind of journey
0: um, it was interesting because I'd sort of been made uh, I took a redundancy from National Express and I thought, yeah oh, I'll just go back to P management consultant be that easy you know really you know nice company really good money flexibility uh, and I did uh, set up a company and I was doing that and then one day uh, a guy I was working with called Alex Myers he said I'd really love you to tell your story to my my program, my guys. I said they'll they'll get a lot of benefit from it. I went, yeah, okay, no problem. So I did a sort of slide deck and um, did the go around and send it across to him. And he says, first he goes, you put a typo in there. He says, um, I says why? He says, you put you lost a hundred kilos. I went, no, yeah, I should put one hundred and ten, but yeah, you're right. And I went, no no, you've lost. 100. I says, yeah, I've lost hundred kilos. He went, I didn't know. I went, yeah, and then. In this sort of conversation, sharing my story, I sort of had you're not, I had an epiphany. I realised that this is what I have to do. The conversation I'm having with these guys, the questions they're asking, the, the answers i was giving, is I just said, I need to do this. I need to do this at whatever you know, almost at whatever you know, cost um, to me. Um, and I and I also realised I couldn't do it as a side thing i couldn't do it as a you know well, i'll do this on the side i'll, I'll help a few people now but i'll still pre- keep bringing the money in because if i didn't i wouldn't have committed to it i would just have been a sort of a you know, half-baked thing and i'd already done a lot of work for free for people because i'd been a sponsor of Elvis anonymous and i'd been in groups and i'd done that so i'd already cut my teeth so to speak i thought okay perhaps this could be a career i don't know <laughs> um but, yeah and then embarked on, on, on it as a career
1: and what does it look like when you start to work with somebody
0: um, well I start by just asking, making sure they're ready yeah I, um, I turn away which is crazy for a guy in business about fifty percent of my business mm-hmm. because I have a call with them and I go you're not ready I says um, you're you're just not ready um, you're you're're you're, you're looking for a fix you're looking for you know somebody to do the work for you you're looking for you know um you know 90 days and, and you're gonna lose all this weight. I said, you know, I'm the wrong person if you don't want to do that. I said because you know I I want lifelong change. I don't you know I don't ever set people weight loss targets. I don't ever talk about weight loss with them. Weight loss is a byproduct of my working with me because we're gonna cut out all of that ridiculous additional food you're eating through the binging and emotional eating so when i work with people i sort of sit down and we sort of have a strategy we have a plan and i get to understand where they've you know first the most important thing you need to do is create this big why because that's what's going to be used when we try to work with the inner voice and i you know my inner voice is called fred by the way um from from drop dead fred um and i use this to try to try and break through you know this this whole you know voice that's there that's that's encouraging you and and you know reasoning with you when you know it's not even practical so we work very hard on understanding that we talk about creating routines don't start thinking about planning your food planning because most people fail because they don't actually have a meal plan they get up and they go well i won't eat today or they'll forget or they'll get busy and then all of a sudden they're reaching for you know, junk food, they're reaching for processed food, they're reaching for food that's not going to be nutritious, it's not going to help, it's not going to serve them. It's not going to help them feel stronger. It's not going to help feel mentally alert. So it's almost working on that principle. So very quickly we sort of like, okay, we'll map out 90 days. We'll map out where you think those triggers are, where what you want to achieve, what what part of your life is suffering, what where is this holding you back? And then from there, we can then just put plans in place to say, okay, you know, let's start understanding where these trigger points are. Let's understand what are the lies that your inner voice is telling you because it'll be telling you something that makes it compelling to go and eat that food when you don't eat it when when you're you know on the third bar of chocolate because because you know, you're not even tasting the chocolate at that point but you're doing it because it's almost an inbred behavior you know don't forget you know this voice lives in the sort of lizard brain the amygdala it, it's it's fight or flight it's there to protect you so there is no reasoning. If people go, well, just think about it. It says, well, that voice is where it lives. There is no thinking about it. There is, you know, It's designed to save your life and protect you. So you don't have a chance to argue it. You know, If you can, then that's when you need to move the conversation up into the higher brain and have the conversation there. But if you already, you know, I say to people, if you've already got the food in your hand, it's too late. So that fork in the road, that, decision that put you on the path to eating is a lot further back than people think about it and if you need to have it if you need a strategy for that moment it's in your hand good luck because that's going to be really hard to beat
1: and the people are the right people for you to be working with Mm -hmm. they're in the right place to start on that journey Mm
0: -hmm.
1: how do they describe the experience of working with you
0: because i've been where they've been they almost have an honesty factor with me because they can't actually lie to me because i've told all the lies myself so i know when people you know are not feeling themselves i know i know i ask them the questions because they're, they're almost like are you reading my mind i'm not reading their mind i just know where they're at because i've been there so they almost say oh, how did you know that how do you know i was thinking that it's like because i thought that i've been there now, don't get wrong, right, don't get it right all the time, but most of the time we can get it right you go what's causing that why are you making me feel that? I think they just feel like they've for the first time in their life they've got somebody with them who actually believes that they can do this, and for them it's it's almost their first time they've had this. they've worked with coaches and PTs and people before, but this is the first time that somebody's gone, yeah I'll, you can do this and I believe in you um and that's what they feel they feel like you know um. I liken myself to Liam Neeson from Taken. I have a unique set of skills that make me a nightmare for people like that.
1: (laughs) And what does it feel like for you to see somebody making that change that they weren't making before? You know, through working with you.
0: Um, I think it's you know sounds very grandiose, but you can't actually buy that feeling. You know, um, I in an ideal world, Gary, I would win the lottery and I'd coach people for free. But actually, I still wouldn't coach people for free because when you do stuff for free, people don't value it. And I think for me, being able to see that transformation, you know, I'm working with a guy at the moment and he's, you know, he's lost 40 pounds, but that 40 pounds is, is irrelevant. It's the change in his mindset. It's that change in how he's talking to himself. It's a change that he's not, you know, running himself down. He's not beating himself up. You know, this whole... Changing his mentality is, is is the biggest thing you say you know, I say to people a lot you know the change the weight loss happens from the neck up you know that's where all the change happens you know yes, you get the bodily change from below, but actually if you don't change the mindset, you're not going to lose weight. I'm just seeing that change in people
1: that's really powerful. Where can people find out more about you chris uh
0: so uh if they go on Instagram or Facebook, I'm the um emotional eating coach u k uh, or my website at www.emotionaleatingcoach.uk um, or LinkedIn, Chris
1: <laughs> Fantastic. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For Chris, it was a conversation with his doctor who told him he could die at any moment that gave him a massive wake-up call about the impact of his weight on his health. It's been a tough journey since then with many ups and downs, but Chris is now empowering others to... To fundamentally change their lifestyle based on his own experience of making remarkable change happen. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today on The Unlock Moment.
0: Thank you, Gary. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crothers. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset, available in physical book, ebook and audiobook formats. Follow me on Instagram and subscribe to this podcast to get notified
0: about future episodes. Join me again soon.